Welcome to our segment called uh, Dangerous Interviews, uh, where we interview people who we believe are creating dangerously today. Uh, our first guest is Catherine Marenghi. She's an award-winning poet, novelist, and memoirist. Her works include Our Good Name, an historic novel inspired by her Italian immigrant ancestors, and Glad Farm, a memoir about growing up in stark poverty. Uh, President Jimmy Carter called it inspiring, and she has two books of poetry, uh, one called Breaking Bread Poems, uh, one called Breaking Bread Poems, and her newest book, Unfurled Love Poems. Um, And I think, you know, if you look at both Unfurled, um, the love poems, and just Glad Farm, I mean, anyone who writes a memoir about their town is absolutely doing something courageous and brave because uh, people might have to look at their own uh, community uh, in, in a different light afterwards. So welcome, Catherine. Thanks for, for joining us today. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you, you have, you've written um, your memoir, um, Glad Farm, a memoir, which about, uh, you know, living, you know, growing up in poverty. You also did um, Our Good Name, your historical uh, fiction novel on, on based on your Italian immigrant uh, ancestors. Plus your, your books of poetry, and actually I have I have like a copy of Unfurled right here, um, um, your book of poetry, which is about uh, aging and intimacy. Um, so yes. so yes. Um, when 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 did you decide to start writing uh, for publication? Well, I it's one of those things I've always wanted to do um, since I was uh, very young. Uh, But when you graduate from college, you realize that you can't really make a living writing poetry or really writing most anything. Most writers don't make a living at it. And um, growing up in poverty, I had no interest in being a starving artist. So I I was a good, responsible citizen for many years. I had a child. I raised my child. I focused on family and um, saving for my retirement and all those good, responsible things. And finally, when my son was launched in the world, now was my time to do the kind of writing I want to do. I always had jobs that required some element of writing, public relations, journalism, uh, but the kind of writing I wanted to do, I deferred. Once my son was graduated from college, which was 2013, I said, finally, I'm gonna go to writer's retreats, writer's conferences, really focus on my writing. And that's when I um, I went to a writer's retreat in Vermont with the thought of writing poetry, because that's my first love is poetry. But somebody persuaded me I should write a memoir, something that never occurred to me to do. Uh, just sharing stories at the dinner table. Um, they couldn't believe that I had grown up without indoor plumbing. They thought I was making it up. And they said, well, you should write a memoir. Never had occurred to me before that. So that's when I started writing a memoir in 2014, I think. Um, And I started coming to writers' conferences in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico, which is where I now live. And and I now live in a very vibrant community of writers. So that has really encouraged and enriched uh, my creative life to be surrounded by a literary sala and literary conferences and poetry groups and uh, poetry cafes and prose cafes. It's a, it's a wonderful place to retire to. And I, I retired a little bit early uh, so that I could focus on writing that I always wanted to do, but never felt like I could do that and make a living too. I, I made a choice to make a good living to support my family and defer writing. Other people managed to write and somehow 
eke out a living while they're struggling and writing. And I admire them terribly, but that was hard for me to do because I didn't want to raise my child in poverty. So um, I made a choice and other people have made other choices, but now I have the luxury of, of doing the writing that I've always wanted to do. That's, that's, I think it's great. And I think it's inspiring that, um, that you still pursued it uh, years later, where I think a lot of people might, might not. Um, the, the, the podcast uh, is, uh, this is all based on Camus lecture, uh, Create Dangerously. And um, let me see if I can find the quote, but he, he, he talks about how it's an unforgiving time to be writing and an unforgiving time to be an artist in his lecture. And and of course this is um, post post um, World War Two, uh, you know, with Camus yes. um, as part of the French Resistance, um, and then it's also the the rise of the Cold War, um, and you know, from someone from France saying these things is far different from someone from the United States saying these things because the, the battlegrounds were were in their backyard. Um, you know, and the, yeah. the the crimes against humanity were in their backyard. So um, he talks about a century that forgives nothing, and and I'm you know I'm struck by that because I think well what what has this century forgiven? Uh, I, I I don't see much. Um, uh, yes. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, certainly many things have not changed. He he was writing um, with a deep concern about dictatorship and censorship. And um, we certainly are living in a time where um, authoritarianism is on the rise, um, much as it was in the 1930s and 40s. And it's at very concerning times. Uh, we have some of the same worries that he had, uh, that people were afraid to speak out for fear of political retribution. Um, we have new worries now. Uh, and, and in addition to those, we have um, censorship coming from the far right and we also have censorship coming from the far left, where um, people are concerned about cultural appropriation. Um, there's a great worry about offending someone that causes some books to be shut down before they are even published. Yep. And that's a very great concern right now. You must know that Elizabeth Gilbert postponed the publication of her latest book that's set in Russia, in Siberia, uh, because she thought the timing wasn't right, that it might uh, offend or, or trigger or hurt somebody in some way. Um, Joyce Maynard uh, wasn't able to get a publisher for a, lo a long time for her book, The Bird Hotel, because it's set in Guatemala with Mayan characters and Latina characters. Even though she has spent 20 years in Guatemala, uh, she was not. there was no interest in her book. She finally found one little small publisher who would take it. And in France, they were happy to publish it in translation. Uh, so we're seeing that kind of thing all the time, where books are shut down before they're even published uh, because of political concerns that um, may or may not be justified. Um, and it's happening everywhere. There was a, a Museum of Fine Arts exhibit, uh, Philip Guston, uh, because it depicted lynches and um, bigotry. And, and they did deferred it because it was an era of Black Lives Matter, the, the, the George Floyd um, murder. And um, they were afraid to show images of, of bigotry and lynching and slavery. Why? Why? This was right. an artist who protested those things. So why wouldn't you show this? Um, this great fear of offending or causing uncomfortable conversation 
is the exact opposite of what art and literature of all kinds are supposed to do. We are supposed to offend. We are supposed to challenge. We are supposed to um, make people have conversations and live in other people's lives. If we don't show other people's lives, if we can't talk about other people's lives, it's it's shutting us down before we even open our mouths. And that's that's deeply concerning. It, it is. Uh, there was a, a wonderful piece in um, the New York Times, an essay about Shirley Jackson's um, yes. the, the lottery. Uh, and, and, it, and they discussed where uh, people um, no longer want to be uh, challenged by not knowing the ending. Uh, by having to think about what does this mean, where, where, where do, how do I apply this, um, and it seems that that's, and, and they'd echoed what you just said, uh, uh, how there's censorship from, you know, they're banning books uh, on one side, and on the other side, uh, the left is is also shutting things down that that they yeah. don't that they don't agree with, and and it, that's it's dangerous on on both sides. I mean, I've always, I've never been uh, completely. Uh, I mean, I hate the I hate the phrase po political correctness because it's you know people who blame political correctness for things I think are people who just generally want to pass for being an asshole. Um, you know, they want to be able to say what they want to say yes. and not get called out on it. Yeah. Um, oh, and make it okay correctness. to be uncivil. They yes. want to be vulgar and unimpolite and, and insensitive, and and they're the ones criticizing political correctness, where. I think one should try to be correct. One should try to be sensitive. One should be conscious of other people's views and feelings, um, but not to the point where we're shutting down opinions before they're even voiced. No, I, 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 I would almost prefer, regardless, like to to let the bigot say what he wants to say, so I know where he is. I know who he is. I can identify him. There he is. Okay, great. You said that. Now I know who you are. So instead of saying you can't say that, let him. And then, then I can yeah. identif identify yes. who's, who's on the other side much more. Oh, I agree completely. Uh, I agree. Instead of, of course, but that's that seems to be happening uh, these days. There, there's there's an embold uh, the the right seems to be very emboldened. I I have a stack of books. I always have a stack of books, and there's a, a book by uh, Victoria Bateman called Naked Feminism, uh, and mm. which is is terrific. Um, she it, it's about it's her breaking the cult of female modesty and and just in the the inner flap it says is it right that despite the promise of feminism women's bodies remain at the mercy of the state society and religion and and it's true and then she and she talks about the rise and she's from the uk but she talks about the rise of of the puritans again a puritanical movement which is the same as here um, it seems like it's the Christian right that that seems to be driving all of of these these things um, much more so than I think it, it ever has been. I, I'm we we show movies in, uh, as part of the Shauna Foundation for free once a, once a month in in Southbridge, and we we showed Richard uh, Benner's 1977 movie Outrageous, which is about a drag queen um living with with uh, a woman who's schizophrenic and pregnant um a very very poignant film it's yeah. it, it and it it's it made lovingly and caringly about both of the characters uh and it was groundbreaking for its time it was the first gay themed film to get wide distribution in north america in 1977 i actually remember seeing it in worcester at the time but it, it seemed that no one was really offended by you know 
drag performances then to the degree that it is now. Um, and, yes, and that, yes, and, it's which astonishing. Is, it Just is astonishing. And it's without even viewing it as an art form, which it is. Um, it's yes. like a very legitimate yes. and old art form. Um, so oh, I, I saw the most wonderful drag queen story hour. Uh, I was visiting my son at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho, and the local library had drag queen story hour. All these people arrived in drag and these children were on the floor in rap because this was so entertaining. These were so theatrical. They brought their popcorn. They were lying on their stomachs on the floor and, and just engrossed by these brilliant storytellers. And I thought, how marvelous this is. I would love to tell people who object to this, go to one of these <laughs> right. fabulous, wonderful story hours. It's a shame that such a thing would be stopped. Well, you know, they they claim it's, it's, uh, it's, it's odd, but, you know, they claim it, it, they're sexualizing something. But that's only in their own head. Yes, that's always the complaint. That... We have lots of stories with um, heterosexual couples, and we don't accuse them of sexualizing anybody. No. Um, but gay couples are somehow pedophiles and, and, and grooming people. Grooming is this new word that if you show anything gay or transsexual, you're grooming somebody for this life of sin. I mean, what the heck? What yeah. the heck? And it seems that most, most of the people who are... are pointing that out are later arrested you know as pedophiles <laughs> for, for being in a men's room so yeah yeah um, it, yeah it, it's, it's it's unfortunate um th there's, uh, there's so so much going on right now that it, it's 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 very troubling to see writers being shut down artists being shut down filmmakers being shut down um because some individual might be offended i, I don't know if you saw the amanda gorman uh, controversy her poem of that her inaugural poem for yes. um, for Biden's uh, inauguration was censored in Florida because one person who wrote an almost illiterate complaint naming Oprah Winfrey as the author of the poem um you know I guess all black women looked alike to her <laughs> whoever complained but um she and she couldn't give any specific reason why she was offended just that she was offended and the thing was shut down. I, it's it's really astonishing. So the these these the censorship that in Camus' time was coming from dictatorships. That was the great moral dilemma, I think, of the 20th century: dictatorship. In this century, I think the great moral dilemma is 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 human rights and 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 feminist rights and gay rights and how how we're all going to be able to survive with this new new censorship coming down on us from every direction, not just dictators, but a single person can censor the inaugural poet of the United States because she's didn't like that the person she thought was Oprah Winfrey wrote it. I mean, it's but, just astonishing. And she admitted she never read the poem. Yeah, never read it, couldn't so, cite okay, it, couldn't, okay. couldn't explain what her complaint was, right, uh, just so. that she was offended. Right, yeah. that, that, that's, there's, um, another book that I'm, I'll hold up here. Um, it's called The Future of Whiteness um, ah, by Linda Martin Alcoff. And, and, and it's, I, 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 she thinks uh, um, a lot of this pushback is, is starting now because probably within 30 years, um, whites in particular, white Christians will be a minority in the United States. Um, uh, isn't that the great fear? It is. Well, there that, are whites that's what who it is. fear that they are becoming the minority. Heaven forbid 
that whites become a minority and that we're rapidly going to that place too, um, which I think is fabulous. If yes. we all got mixed up all together, that would solve a lot of problems. But um, yeah. So it's, and in particular, the white Christians already are a minority. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, they seem to want to hold on to whatever illusion of power that they, they thought they had um, because yeah. they, the, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, anyone in middle America who's a Christian, um, they don't really have power. They they just assume that they do. Oh, that that's a huge problem. People who feel, um, and that's why Trump rose to status because he was the only one who seemed to be listening uh, to people who are poor. Uh, people are finding that the world they thought they knew in the United States is disappearing. It's being threatened. We all grew up reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. I had to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, the Lord's Prayer, and the American's Creed every morning in school. So you get this idea beaten into you that we are the greatest country on earth. We're number one, we're number one, we're number one. And then all of a sudden we're being told, oh no, you're not perfect. You had slavery. Uh, you have injustice. You have uh, black lives that are being uh, destroyed by police and 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 they don't want to hear all these things that us did wrong they want to believe we're number one and trump came along and said we're going to make america great great again like in whatever good old days they they imagine and that's what people need to hear they they, they feel very upset and threatened that the country that they so believed in is being challenged and being told it's not so perfect and, and people are very upset by that. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear we're number one. It's it's yeah. very hard for them to reckon with. And and it's, it's it's interesting because it seems like it's a sports team as opposed to anything yeah. else. But yes. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the number one metaphor in this country, isn't it? Uh, it sports it is. and guns are the number one source of metaphors <laughs> in the United States. So, but we we you know grew up in the same era, and and I had to yes. we had to do the pledge of allegiance as well. I um, in public school we didn't have to pray, but we had a moment of silence, which was which took took the place well, of. I a was prayer. in public school. These yes. were public schools that I grew up in, but happened to be in a very Catholic town. Yes, and so every morning we we recited the Lord's Prayer, and the Americans' Creed, which I can <laughs> recite to you now even still. But it's so jingoistic. It says, oh my God. We, you know, we will defend our flag. We will, so, you know, against all enemies. What, you know, what, what is this all about? Are we starting an army here of children? I mean, what are we doing here? Th that is grooming. That is the definition of That's grooming. grooming. <laughs> yes. Th yes. It. But there are people who deeply internalize that. And I consider myself patriotic also. I believe deeply in the ideals that the founding fathers laid out even though they didn't exactly meet those ideals, but I believe in equality and justice and freedom of speech and all these things laid out in the Constitution and Bill of Rights. I deeply believe in those, but it doesn't mean I'm gonna turn a blind eye to horrors that are happening or that happened in history in the United States. No, but I mean, it was interesting in our time, like when we're saying these things and people are feeling this greatness, you know, we had, you know, race riots every summer you know, we we had the Vietnam War on television. We had Watergate. Um, we the, everything in front of us, the evidence in our, in our face showed the opposite. Yes. Uh, and yet we still didn't, or people at least, you know, we we actually didn't grow up that far apart either. I'm in, I'm in Uxbridge. You were in Milford. We're about seven miles apart. Yes. 
you know, old, you know, Oxbridge is an old mill town. Um, and, and it seems that people just ignored the, the reality that was happening out there um, to to still think that we, we were the best instead of addressing these things to make us the best. It's it's um it's an interesting challenge for any type of artist, and by that I include video, you know, film and, and visual arts and writing and music and all the arts. Uh, as Camus said, you cannot do this in solitude. You cannot do this alone. You are part of a society. You're part of um, um, a, a political reality, and you have to make your voice heard. Whatever in whatever way you express your voice and whatever art form you express your voice, you cannot be solitary. You're not allowed to do that. You have to. Uh, and it was a lot for me to think about because I never thought of myself as a political writer. I never thought that that was what I did. But everything I've written is highly political. Oh, yes. I, that's my, why you're my wrong. Novel, <laughs> my novel um, speaks out against uh, bigotry, against immigrants, against, um, you know, all kinds of like bigotry, against poverty, um, against ageism, against all kinds of things that we all experience in our society. And I, I find that fiction is actually, fiction and poetry enable you to express things without bluntly stating uh, didactic facts. You know, you, you, you can actually, you can actually get into a person's mind more with an art form than you can with reporting, with journalism, with um, nonfiction because you enable a person to inhabit somebody else's body. You can give voice to other people and allow a reader or a viewer to inhabit somebody else's body and see the world in a different way. And that's profoundly political. I'm asking you to see the world differently. That's what any artist does. I'm asking you to challenge your world. And even though I never thought of doing it deliberately, because I've always thought of political writing as really hard to do, hard to do in a way that's, um, sensitive and artistic and not beating people over the head. Uh, it's really hard to do that well. And, um, but I've actually been doing that all along as I've yes. thought about it, because I, I'm constantly making statements about what I think and how I view the world and how my characters view the world. And, and it's stuff that people don't know, that I want people to know. My own classmates in an Italian American town know nothing about Sacco and Banzetti even though Sacco lived in Milford, Massachusetts. And they, I've, I've said, oh, are, are they mafia? No, they're not mafia. They were <laughs> accused by bigoted judge and jury and prosecutors of being bomb throwers and terrorists. And, and, terrorists, and they were just thought to be evil, substandard human beings. And now you're mimicking that, you're echoing that same voice. You're assuming that they're criminals without knowing a darn thing about them. They weren't criminals. They were innocent immigrants yep. who were committed, who were executed for crimes they did not commit out of sheer bigotry of the times. And I want people to know that. I want people to know about the KKK burning crosses on the lawns of immigrants because they weren't Protestant Christian. They were Catholic Christian. That, that Christian's not good. Catholics weren't accepted by the KKK. Um, and very oddly, a lot of U.S. immigration policy is very much in line with the beliefs of the KKK. Yes. U.S. immigration policy has favored whites. It's favored Protestant Christians. Um, and above all, we favor people who don't come here from somewhere else. 
So that's exactly what the KKK believes. So and the US immigration policy has mirrored that in the most horrific way. So for people to not know that bothers me. It really bothers me that people don't know the history of the very town they grew up in, the violent labor union history, the violence of, of the wars. Uh, it, people just don't know and, and, and maybe don't care, but I, but I kind of want them to know anyway. So it's, um, it's sad if people don't want to know the history of their, their own town, their own town. Yeah, it, we, it was very similar in Uxbridge, actually, the uh, Uxbridge Town Hall, the upstairs of the old, Ux no, it's still the Uxbridge Town Hall, but upstairs it was a, a theater, a stage up there, uh, but the KKK used to meet there in the town hall, ah. and then, um, oh my goodness, and then it was the uh, the French and Irish Catholic who went down and they pulled the fire alarm, and when they came out, they they met them with, with clubs outside, and they, they kind of ran, they ended those meetings <laughs> quickly. Oh, wonderful. Um, Wonderful. But, but it was because they were, were um, definitely against the, the immigrant, uh, the Irish immigrant in particular, the, you know, the, the French speaking from, from Canada. The French Canadians uh, were one of the big targets because they were always, always the accusation is they're taking jobs. They're taking yes. good American jobs um, and they're Catholic. We don't like that. Um, so the Italians, the Irish, the French Canadians, um, and of course the Jews. Have, have all been targeted by the KKK. Well, there's some wonderful resistance from the immigrant community, I must say. <laughs> they had to. I mean, it's survival. Um, it, it, it's And it's funny you said the Jews because the rise of anti-Semitism again in this country is is yes. kind, of, kind of off the charts. And, and and again, I think it's because of of the the, the fact that, that white um, Christians are, are becoming a minority. But the, the interesting challenge to that, at least in, in, in uh, her book, the, the Future of Whiteness, is um, although some people tend to break the mold, but we're, we're not born as clean slates. You know, you're born to a particular family, you're born into a particular town, into a particular religion, into a particular race, in a particular time yes. that already yes. has defined you as soon as you exit the womb. Um, and yes. that's that's when when I, I think of of any of the, the Christians who not right now feel under attack for their beliefs. It's this is just how this was the world they were born into. So how do you reach them, especially as an artist? How do you reach them to, to make them understand that we actually aren't a threat to, to they they're, they can live their life? I believe, you know, live however you want. Just don't force it on anybody else. Um I, I don't know how that, that's a tough road for me, uh, you know, and in, in creating my art to, to convince them that, hey, yes. you can be who you are. Just don't, you know, impose yourself on us. Yes. And that goes both ways, of yes. course. Uh, but for people to uh, be afraid of, of doing lectures or doing movies or doing any kind of art on campuses because someone might be offended. And they have to create special rooms for people to go to so they won't be offended or triggered in some way. Um, that's that's very troubling to me because campus should be the place that's a flowering of original and innovative thought. And where it's campuses seem to be a place right now where all kinds of, of art and literature are, are being uh, suppressed uh, because somebody might be uh, upset in some way or or just, you know, troubled in some way. And I, and I don't understand that at all. 
Um, I, 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 you and I, of course, grew up in the era of anti-authoritarianism and protest and, and great movements, women's rights, civil rights. So it's surprising to me that campuses now seem to be a place uh, where free speech is endangered uh, by both professors and students. It's um, for for, you know, for museums like the Museum of Fine Arts to to apologize to have a big apology. They delayed the Philip Guston exhibit for two years because of the Black Lives Matter movement, and then they finally issued with a huge apology written on the wall before you walked in because there might be an image of of a lynching or slavery in the exhibit. It's um, amazing to me that they wouldn't display this proudly. We're so proud to present this important exhibit. Instead, they're cowering and apologizing. It's, um, you know, that's, that's a very, very unsettling thing for me. But it makes me more conscious of the role of, of filmmakers, artists, writers, uh, to, to be very honest and challenge and clear thinking and clear eyed. Uh, because there's so many attacks from every quarter, right? I, 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 I think I, in, in part, I'll blame some of the artists uh, because th they will um, say something and then blame cancel culture. Oh my God, you know, can't, you know I can't oh. say this, you know, and then it, they get a news story. So it becomes a good PR for them and they're never canceled. They just keep on selling tickets. And, and I, I, I'm, as you know, um, I'm a survivor of clergy sexual abuse and, and, and the Catholic church surprised, you know, an Irish boy from Massachusetts. Talk oh, about, talk and, about, and, and, and there poetry others? about that is, a, is a, you've written astonishing poetry about that. Very, very blunt, very clear eyed. And I congratulate you for that. Thank, thank you. But uh, that was part of a one man show where it, it was uh, a, a lot of comedy. Um, and, and uh, people walked out. Um, yeah, I expected it, and, and I didn't say, "Oh my God, I can't believe they're offended by my joke." No, I really believe that they were offended by you my joke. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I think if they can own that as well, um, in particular, I'm looking at comedians in particular. If they can own it as well, instead of getting all defensive and saying cancel culture, yeah, that, that's the joke you made is offensive, um, and maybe it could be in part why it's funny, but own it, just own it and and, and then move on uh, instead of blaming the people who are offended. I, I I have no right to say what should or should not offend anyone. That That's not my role. I, I they, they have their own, again, they were born into something that I wasn't. Um, so I, I tended to own the fact that, that I offended people. I mean, I've, I'm sure I've offended people with some of my movies i'm you know i think i, I used to rate success by the amount of people that walked out um so so that, that's your success <laughs> yes but but to, to your point about poetry and and fiction i i would say the same um with movies but in particular uh comedy and horror are a way to to address social issues uh, with that safe buffer where, where people can see it as entertainment and still hopefully come away with something. Uh, you know, it comes to mind is, is George Romero's first Night of the Living Dead um, when when the, the 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 hero of the movie was was a black man. This was made in like 1969. Uh, and every the zombies pretty much looked like um, the police, you know, from the South with the water uh -huh. hoses. You're right. 
Um, so yes. it, it, there was a, a point to to that, uh, and 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 then similarly with with racism, uh, blazing saddles. Um, you know, Mel Mel Brooks, yes. you know, really showed you um, what how silly and stupid and how, what racism looked like uh, while poking fun of you. I mean, it was uh, Mark Twain said, uh, you know, nothing can withstand the assault of laughter, and I believe that if you can point your finger and laugh at something. It loses power. Blazing Saddles, everybody thought it was hilarious that there was a black cowboy, when in fact, right. the original cowboys were black. Yes. The word boy was a word ascribed to black people who, there was a house boy, there was a cowboy. Yeah. Original cowboys were actually black. Nobody seemed to know that. But we all thought it was so funny to see a black guy as a cowboy. And and, and it was quite the opposite was true. It was, um, but so I, I, I think, there are, there are ways that artists can do can can reach some of these things so i guess yeah. so um you did in your recent book of poetry but are you working on anything now um that you would well, like you know, to address I, I didn't i i think that i i didn't realize when i was writing these recent poems that i was countering a trend towards ageism and um there is a lot of ageism that i'm seeing right now um, and I'm, this is a political statement. Uh, there's so many articles that you'll see about young people, 40 under 40, 40 great artists, 40 great business people under 40. How about 60 over 60? 60 people over 60 who are doing amazing things. We are very interested in youth. And um, every time I read a story about um, intimacy among older people, it's something laughable. There's, you know, somebody's, you know, didn't get their Viagra in time or some, you know, body part doesn't work. And we laugh at them. Um, it's a joke. Old people are a joke in very much. Um, and we call people in their 50s senior citizens. I mean, come on, geezers. I, I saw an article about older people um, using online dating services. And the headline was geezers turning to computers. They thought it was hilarious that old people could figure out how to use computers. Well, I've been using computers since before that author was born. And this notion that it's humorous or something to snicker at or make fun of, when older people, people over 50, 60, 70, 80 and beyond, are living vibrant, uh, sexual lives, creative lives, political lives. And we're not a joke. We're not a joke. Uh, so I wrote a book of poetry, uh, very explicit, sometimes erotic poetry, um, involving people of a certain age, because we are alive and breathing and have pulses. And so now I think every book that I write from now on, uh, I would really love to focus on people who are 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, living um, interesting, vibrant, sensual, very, very, very living people. That's, that's what I want to show. Um, I'm thinking of, um, of writing a collection of short stories involving uh, older people um, of different kinds, single people, married people, adventurous people, uh, all uh, different voices, but a book of short stories is what I'm working on right now. Um, haven't got a title yet, but it's very much just early, early stage. But I'm talking to a lot of people about their lives. I'm interviewing people in my age group and older. Um, and I'm 68, um, 69 this year, uh, but I'm interviewing a lot of people asking, you know, what, what, is, what is your life like? What, what are you thinking? What are you experiencing? 
and um, and, I, and I want to focus on this sector because the publishing industry doesn't seem at all interested in my age group at all. Um, they're interested in, um, you know, there are many marginalized groups, but older people are not considered in among those. Marginalized people are people of color, indigenous people, uh, gay, lesbian. Um, there, there are lots of people who qualify under the publishing industry's definition of marginalized, but women and older people don't seem to be in the, any of those marginalized categories. And it's hard to get published. It'll be, you know, the next issue is just gonna focus on what they consider a marginalized group. And it's never older white women, never, or older white men for that matter, or older people in general. Uh, so that's another, uh, you know, I don't mean to complain because I don't have a lot to complain about, but there is a, a backlash against anybody who's not a member of a, uh, a current, uh, a politically fashionable marginalized group. And, well, the, and that makes my life difficult. The, the interesting thing is that we're, you know, it's just on a business sense, we're a pretty substantial market. <laughs> um, you know, Absolutely. To, Somebody needs to figure that out. That we, and we buy books, we buy all kinds, we buy movies, we buy all kinds of things that, um, that they should be selling right now. Yeah, I, I, I for, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking this as, as we have the upcoming, you know, presidential election, and it can be like Biden and Trump again. And part of me does think, well, Jesus, you really are old. Um, I'd like a little, you know, young blood in there. Um, but I think that's the way our system has worked. Um, for some reason, you know, they, they are not the, the people that represent old people or, or, or represent people of our age, um, either of them. Um, I, I laugh at somebody, I don't know what I put on Twitter, but somebody said, you know, okay, boomer, as if I was to be insulted. <laughs> a, I laughed. And B, I said, like, well, like when I was your age, I had much better, you know, insults for people than that. That's about <laughs> as lame as it can be. Um, but I also un un understand, you know, some of, of their frustration that it's still, but it's it's less old, you know, white people running things. It's old, rich white people um yeah, men running things and and, and a, that's a different category that that's a different ca again in ben I could probably throw christian in there that's a different category of the people who are trying to maintain something uh and i have no problem with young people eliminating them but as far as as you know, like you said the computer i mean i i edit my own movies on my computer i mean i don't need anyone to help me um that's what makes it, it it's anyone can do this now it's so yeah you know, it's yeah. right there. I'm I'm looking at my I'm looking at my workstation. Um, but I I, I agree. I th I think I think there's a level where uh, um, here where they don't honor people who are aging either. Um, it's no, like, no. like literally. That, that's what I'm seeing. You 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 go over there and 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 that's it. Instead of seeing that some of us do have some life experience that that could possibly help uh, along the way. Uh, and you and the young can certainly teach teach me a heck of a lot too. But I think there's a way w where it all works w without first casting aspersion because someone's old. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a little uncomfortable at the age criticism of the candidates that are running for office because um, I certainly know a lot of people in their 80s who are very vibrant 
I wish they were running. I wish they were the ones running. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, no, I, I think it's, I mean, I go more to, to the fact that it's the, the, the wealthy who are doing this, not, not, uh, yeah, they're, they're no, looking, they're, lo- they're not looking at, at the whole picture. They're just looking at, at the age of, of two men as opposed to, you know, being corporatists, uh, uh, you know, and, and working more for, for banks than anyone. Um, and I'm not singling out just one party when I say that. Um, I, I, find you know that's they're corporatists on both sides and and banks keep getting bailed out and people keep losing homes you know that's that's that hasn't changed yeah 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 i i i really want to be more conscious of reflecting our times i've sort of done it unconsciously until now uh but ageism is a movement that um i want to counter and that's something i'm going to counter very deliberately I, and I'm getting a lot of real stories from real people that I know who are living um, very interesting lives. And I, I want to share a lot of that. Um, and, I, and I'm and i still very um, interested in immigration and immigrant stories. My book is a story of Italian immigrants. It could have been a story about any immigrant, Jewish, Irish, any, yep. any of them, because they all have the same experience. They're all treated badly in the United States. And if they're white, it, they maybe can get over that a generation or two. But the country has been miserable to its immigrants and immigration policy interests me and how people view ethnic groups is a concern to me. You mentioned this, there is a lot of anti-Semitism right now. Um, I have trouble explaining to people that a book about Italians is not going to be about the mafia. I, I can't get that across to people because it is so deeply ingrained that all Italians are criminals. And I can't get people to stop thinking that. And some people think I'm lacking a sense of humor because I don't appreciate this, but it, it's it's bigotry. It's really ugly bigotry to think that any group, that the Mexicans are all cartels, uh, that the Japanese are all Yakuza, or that Russians are all brought, in every ethnic group, you can look up FBI statistics, organized crime is always under 2% of the population. In the case of Italians, it's under 1%, but the people have the opposite perception that we're 99% criminals, and I don't think that's amusing. No. I don't like that. And I want people to have a very different view of who people really are, who Italians are, who Irish are. That's not what you think. It's not what you think they are. I can't look at Netflix without seeing, oh, there's Mexican cartels, there's German Nazis. Um, they're, they're, the stereotypes just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And I, and I, I, I refuse to read books right now that are about Mexican cartels Italian mafia. I just won't even read them. Any any more than a person of color should be expected to read um, only books about heroin addicts, pimps, and prostitutes or, or ghettos. That's not who black people are either. So I, I don't understand um, why I should have a sense of humor about being asked if my family was all mafia when you wouldn't ask a black person to think it was funny if you called her family, you know, pimps and prostitutes. That's that's not funny. So no. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand the, the acceptance of bigotry here, but not here. It, it it's I I you know I'm the, the whole I St. Patrick's Day is like one of the worst days for me <laughs> there is. <laughs> uh because it's they just think you know everyone just goes out and gets drunk and with those stupid t-shirts that say kiss me i'm irish and i'm like if you're really irish i wouldn't i don't even want to shake your hand you know i don't, I don't <laughs> want to kiss anyone uh that's that's not how that goes um but you know so on 
Facebook, I'll always, you know, post something by James Joyce and oh, here's something else for you to celebrate on oh, St. Patrick's yeah, Day. Yeah, Irish do something other than drink. Oh, yes. isn't that amazing? Drink and fight. Um, you know, then they show that stupid John Wayne movie, uh, The Quiet Man, where they fight. Of course, oh, they, yes. Oh, good Lord. Yes. And uh, Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. And, and I have to believe all Irish women are, have red hair. And yeah. I have to argue with people who don't agree that I say I'm of Italian-American descent. They say, oh, oh, but but you've got more Irish in you than anything, right? No, I know Irish, <laughs> none, zero. And people think I'm mistaken and they need to correct me on this. We have such ingrained images of what people are supposed to look like. Um, and and, and I need to, we need to change that. We need to have people look at who people are. Who, who are we? It's, it, that's, what, that's what art can do. Art of all genres can do. Show us who we really are, the good and the bad. That's perfect. And I think that's a perfect sentiment to to wrap this up on. Uh, that's oh, that's that, that that's what art should do. Uh, and that's hopefully what we're exposing with this podcast. And I thank you so much for being our first guest. Oh, um, exciting. Uh, and and uh, I hope so. Where can people get your book? Or I should say books. Oh, um, I have four books there on, on Amazon. I have a website, merengi.com, that has summaries of all of them, M-A-R-E-N-G-H-I. And, um, and Amazon's and Ingram both distribute my books. Um, so that's the easiest thing to do. Um, but I'd be delighted if people found my books. And I'm on Facebook and social media and all that good stuff as well. Perfect. Well, uh, Captain, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, Oh, I really enjoyed this. I can't uh, believe an hour went by. Thank yes, you. and I look forward to seeing you the next time you're uh, up, up in New England way. Soon, soon. I'll let right. you know. All right, great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Skip. May I have your attention, please? I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night. No such bargain, Vincent. The show's over. <laughs>